Thank you for listening to Namat's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Someone's messing with us, harassing the pickers. Harvest just started and people are leaving left and right. You could help us, Sloan. Please. Welcome back to Santa Lucia, where it always smells like sour grapes. Any idea who's behind it? There's so many people in this town who wish we were invisible. This is Dulce. She's my right hand around here. Gotta be careful. There's a lot of fuel for a fire out here. Hey, have you seen Dulce? I'm, I'm looking for Dulce. She's a sweet kid. She's kind of a magnet for trouble, though. Commercial housing and residential neighborhoods do not mix. You think someone started it? I know an accelerated fire when I see one. This is about safety. Hey! What are you playing at, girl? This is a residential neighborhood. Surprised to see you with the competition last night. You don't know what you're getting yourself into here. Yeah, funny how that happens when you hang around with a liar. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode 429. Releasing April 21 on video on demand is Brute Force, a neo-noir set in California wine country where journalist Sloane Sawyer investigates reports of someone harassing vineyard workers in her hometown. A beautifully crafted and portrayed crime mystery that deals in the themes of class, race and territory, Brute Force also marks the feature film debut of writer and director Eve Simonton. And Eve, I'm so very happy to say that you're joining me now on the podcast. How are you today? Doing very well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, it's really interesting just reading up about yourself and just about your kind of like your journey being a filmmaker, you said that when you were 11 years old, you knew you wanted to be a filmmaker. And since then, you've worked in shorts and such, but this is your feature film debut now. And considering that journey, that dream you had at such a young age, how does it feel now to know that people very soon are going to watch your feature film debut? I'm sure there's just like a a plethora of emotions there when it comes to that. It truly is. I, I kind of can't believe I've made it this far, but also have been working to get here for quite a long time. So it's scary and exciting all at the same time. <laughs> um, what's really interesting about your film, and like I love a good you know, neo-noir film noir like any other person, um, the whole basis of, of, of those kind of films, though, is setting. Um, usually you talk about the concrete jungles and and maybe once in a while you might delve up into kind of like a, a Chinatown or something like that. But setting a neo-noir in wine country um, with a sun-blasted kind of like visuals kind of like always always there, um, such an interesting kind of take on that kind of uh, genre. Um, where did you come up with the idea to kind of base it, this kind of story in that setting? What was it about that setting in particular of the wine, the vineyards in um, California that really kind of spoke to you as a great place to set this story? 
So initially I had been spending a lot of time in wine country because I do love wine. Mm -hmm. And I, as a um, fairly recent transplant to California, when I very first started writing this movie, I was exploring the state. And uh, the more time I spent there, the more I felt that it's gorgeous and would be a beautiful place to film. But more than that, it had those those layers of history and complexity to it, which um, contrasted with the aesthetic beauty of, of the place. And I thought that matched so perfectly with the underlying themes of noir films, that something that looks looks beautiful, be that the in the classic movies, the femme fatale or the wealthy lifestyle actually hides something much seedier underneath. It was interesting about the whole story and kind of like the, the themes that it delves into, especially in regards to territory and class and race, et cetera, is like I never thought that considering what wine country is and the kind of like the the the, the veneer of it, that when you kind of dig into the soil there, you kind of unearth all these kind of all this this kind of this past. And I think this is true of any kind of like, you know, Western country you're going to delve into kind of like these themes. Here in Australia, we definitely have fun things dealing with that stuff, especially regards to the territory with our Indigenous people. What's interesting about wine country, though, is that it's like, I was just reading this article, actually, just looking at it now, uh, in some place called um, Boom, California. They released this article back in June of last year, and they're talking about how the history of wine country kind of started with the missions all the way back then and kind of like everything that's involved there and and not only is it the, the the relationship it has between like the native people of the land, but also the immigrants of the land too, kind of like this clash of kind of both kind of things. It's such an interesting thing. Is that is that something as well that kind of really spoke to you in regards to just it's just a great kind of minefield to kind of like go through and kind of delve into and just put a story in there because it just it leads it can lead to so many different kind of like interesting and kind of like explosive conclusions, can't it? Absolutely. I definitely wanted to explore exactly, as you said, the intersection between all of these different people and communities that have over the years laid claim to the land from the original true owners of the of the land, the native people who were essentially enslaved and exploited by the Spanish missionaries. And that was really the true and little known bloody origins of the wine industry. And now uh, as California deals with how to relate to the mostly immigrant farm worker population, mm. which are who are chronically oppressed and and underpaid, even though we desperately need them and need people to work the land, it's it's really interesting. And then there's people who don't are, are not part of those communities who have worked the land and own owned land for decades and decades. So I think that. And everything is a gray area, which makes this so interesting to explore and to embody each of those communities within my characters who are full of moral complexities and gray areas themselves. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books and musicians celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door the matt's movie reviews podcast is brought to you by loot crate founded in 2012 loot crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes 
Loot and Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by TeePublic. TeePublic is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, TeePublic is sure to have something you will love. Very much so. And what I love about Brute Force as well is that, you know, every neo-noir needs that kind of protagonist, right? The, 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 usually it's a leading man, but in this case, we have the character of Sloane Sawyer, who's played by uh, your sister, Lelia. Is it Lelia? Uh, Lelia. Lelia. Um, so fantastic in a role. She really brings, there's a number of things that she brings to this role that I just thought was really interesting. From first introduced to her in a kind of very kind of spectacular way, which kind of like the best way, I guess, you can you know, be, be fired or resign from your job in, in a certain context. Um, she brings a sass, intelligence. Um, she you know, like a really kind of like a kind of like almost strict, like a street smarts to kind of like her, her role as well, which is all the things you need for this kind of character, kind of sniff out the clues and see what's going on there. When putting together this character of Sloan, what were you kind of, were you trying to, um, were you looking at kind of like older representations of this type of version of character in old and was and just wanted to kind of flip the script in a sort of way? Or were you trying to really look at it as kind of make something a little more kind of original and it's kind of like just put a kind of like a, 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 um, a kink in the cog, so to speak, of that kind of genre? So I, uh, when I first started writing Sloan, I was definitely intending to gender flip the genre and and have a, a female protagonist in a traditionally male role and a, and a younger woman at that as well. Yeah. And um, I but I still wanted to retain a lot of the classic features of noir protagonists, the uh, the the wit, the tendency to get mixed up in things that perhaps you shouldn't, the insatiable curiosity and uh, and the tendency towards violence, which I think uh, it Sloan embodies that. And it also speaks to the larger themes of the of the movie. But I think that in a lot of classic noirs, the protagonists have sort of a wry detachment from the story. Maybe they get they get sucked into something romantically, but they always they don't have necessarily have much of a backstory or mm. much of an inner life. So that is something I definitely wanted to change here and add some additional dimensions to Sloane emotionally and in terms of her past so that she can really go on a journey herself, even as the whole plot is unraveling. And the great thing about a protagonist in a, in a noir film is they always have a great character name. I love the name Sloan Sawyer. It kind of just rolls off the tongue. It sounds really kind of like cool and badass. And it just seems like, oh, I want to get to know this person more. Where did you come I'm up with the name like Sloan Sawyer? That's Sloan so Sawyer. Gosh, I've been saying that name so much for so many years. because It, it does. You can't get sick of it either. Sloan Sawyer. I love that. I really do. 
Well, thank you. I I love it too. Um, okay, so I must say I have always loved the name Sloan ever since I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off right. when I was probably middle school. So that that girl's name has always stuck with me. But I do recall a time many years ago when I was like, okay, I love the name Sloan, and I was just trying out last names and came upon that and was like, ah, that I think I could live with for the rest of my life. <laughs> And also interesting in regards to Sloan is that she has a particular set of binoculars in the film I really took note of. Where did that come from? Is that something that your sister brought to the table? Is that something you guys have in your own? Do you own these binoculars? How do you come up? I with do. Thank yeah. you for asking. Um, so actually, my grandparents gave me those. They're real opera glasses. Got. I have no idea why they gave those to like a child, but <laughs> and I think I did use them once upon a time. But basically, I I, I knew that they were in my drawer, and when I was writing the movie and and thinking about her spying they just popped into my head and I was like well I already own that prop and I think those could be visually striking so I threw those in <laughs> they definitely were I really took note of them when I first saw it I want to talk about um, Tyler Posey who's in your film and a lot of people know his work from of course the Teen Wolf TV show and other movies as well he plays Tico Reyes essentially he's the femme fatale of the film isn't he he's kind of like exactly. the person that comes out of nowhere mysterious the seductor um, it's such an interesting role. What was it like working with Tyler and how important is it to have a name like that in an independent production? Because there's one thing to get your film made, but distribution comes with it as well. I'm sure having a name like Tyler Posey on your movie kind of helps a lot of ways in kind of like getting the film out there. Definitely. And especially since uh, my, for my sister and I, this is our, our first big project. So we, we definitely wanted to work with some bigger names. So I worked with casting director, David Guglielmo, who's, who's wonderful. And, and Tyler was top of my list for that role. And uh, we were lucky enough to get him and he, he right away, he was interested in, in the complexities of, of the role and in diving into the genre. And yeah, he, he came out to our our little production and really dove in. And honestly, he was he was great to work with. He's very he's very playful and fun loving. But as soon as the camera starts rolling, he's he's in it and he's he's a real pro. He's been doing this for a really long time. And yeah, it was it was really fun to fun to work with him. He was just as excited to to mold the character with me as I was. And also in the film is uh, Patricia Velasquez, and a lot of people would know her from. Uh, the Mummy Returns and a bunch of other films too. What people might not know about her is that she's like a real like strong philanthropist and activist as well, especially in regards to kind of like um, uh, indigenous issues and issues of her people as well, which I think really bodes well with her character as well. Not to go too far into the weeds because I don't want to do any spoilers, but the passion that she has in real life in regards to these issues, I think funnels really through into the passion her character has as well. Um, is that something you think that really drew her to the role that she can give voice to a character that kind of speaks to a lot of the things that she believes in in real life as well? Definitely. It was, it was really important to, to me when, when casting to look at someone who had a personal connection to this role, especially since that then she's supposed to be, uh, the character is a woman who has both Indigenous and Latino, Latina roots. Um, and yes, from our first Zoom meeting, Patricia was uh, very connected with the material because of her own work with the YU population in, um, in her home country. And um, she, she connected with, with the complexities of the, of the role and, and definitely right away saw all the, all the layers and, and saw that I was trying to make no one a true black and white villain. Everyone has their history and their, their reasons and, and gets caught up in, in 
cyclical generational violence. And uh, she was she was also wonderful to work with and just really added so much emotional dimension to the character. That was that was a real treat. I want to dive back in back into the setting of the film again. So the film is set in St. Lucia. Um, which I think, just looking up my geography here, you guys shot in St. Louis Obispo. Um, yes. In St. Lucia is in San, uh, San So Louis I made Obispo? up the town. It's it's oh, a okay. it's a fictionalized town. Um, and actually, in terms of where we where we filmed the, uh, we did sort of an amalgamation of of different locations in order to get everything that we needed for the movie. So it all kind of combines into this into this fictional town. I definitely wasn't trying to call out any one particular place or vineyard in California, but more speak to uh, speak to the history. So that town really represents the history at large. It could easily have been set in, in Northern California as well. And this is made for your own production company, which is uh, One Duck Egg Productions. Um, what is the philosophy in regards to what you want to do in regards to films with One Duck Egg Productions? So I know you've done shorts, I know you worked in other kind of industry as well, but when it comes to film, like feature films, what are you hoping to do for yourself as a filmmaker through your production company? Because it sounds like um, you guys got some really interesting things going on there. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I have been reflecting on what, what are the themes that draw me to each, each project that I work on um, because I do have eclectic tastes, but I, what I've found to be the case is that I, I love genre. I, I love, I'm a huge cinephile, but I love I love genre movies, especially, and it's when I'm writing, it's really fun for me to dive into a, a new genre every time I write and really figure out how the tropes help to tell the story, how it can be, they can be fun and interesting and bring, use cinema to bring um, a particular story to light in an interesting and creative way. Uh, and I love cross-cultural stories. I've, I'm a huge traveler. I've done a lot of studying and traveling abroad in my, in my life. And, uh, and certainly in California, you get a mix of so many different cultures mm. right here at home. So I, I find that that is the common theme in my, in my stories is, is, um, cross-cultural connection in, under a genre umbrella. So hopefully I can make another one. <laughs> when it comes to making another one, what I love about like these kind of noirish kind of films is that usually the protagonist can pop up again in future stories. And I have a feeling that Sloan Sawyer, to me, is a type of character I love to see again tackle kind of like another mystery. Is there any thoughts whatsoever? And of course, a lot of it depends on the success of what Proof Force does. And by all accounts, I think it's a great film and everyone out there listening should watch it and, and really get this uh, word of mouth out there because it's a fantastic movie. But when it comes to Sloan herself, can you foresee further adventures, further shenanigans, further mysteries to be solved in regards to uh, her character? I could definitely see it. It would be so much fun to do another another Sloan movie. She's definitely a, the kind of character who can drop into different environments and, and figure things out. Uh, so that would be really fun. I've also, I also have, of the folks who've seen the movie, everybody loves Officer Jerry, played by Chase right. Mullen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone wants a Jerry spinoff. <laughs> that would be interesting, actually, Officer Jerry spinoff. You know, you don't really see kind of like ice cops do uh, in, in movies so much. Like that, like, like be... wearing ice cream cops with the moustache and everything. Yeah, it would be the comedic spinoff. <laughs> I think so, yeah. If, if anything, it could be like a web series as well. You never know. Yeah, so many possibilities. <laughs> but for everyone listening out there, Brute Force releases April 21 video on demand. I really highly recommend people check this film because I really enjoyed it. I found that 
I was when I was watching it, I was just getting more engrossed in it as a watching and watching. And just what your sister Lilia does with the film as well, I think she was just fantastic. She's a really she has a great presence on screen, and I think she she's going to do great stuff. And I hope uh, I think you are as well. Even I thank you so very much for your time. And if you get another film out there, man, I love to talk to you again because it's been a pleasure today. And, and I love Bruce Force, I really did. Thank you so much for your kind words. I really appreciate it.